Watch it. Boys breaking. Now we got Thank God, because I was told by Jason, who's organising the race, that if you guys actually didn't make a lot of noise this time, we were going to move the singles race back to Saturday. So, so I very appreciate it. Oh, are we all happy about that? Happy to win this week? Okay, less enthusiastic on that one. We don't need to go into personal circumstances. But hey, thanks so much for coming this afternoon. My name's Sam Jordan. Um, I, I once was a mediocre paddler. Um, but I'm really excited to be able to be here uh, this week and this afternoon as well to watch everyone go around and race. This is Mackenzie Hino. He's the current bronze medalist in the world, actually. Thank you for that. Tell you what, I think we should hold on to that title for a few more days. You've either got two more places to go up or we're going to have to come up with something else. What was it? Uh, what did you come with the doctor? 14. Okay, that's, um, that's, that's, that's good. I think that's, yeah, that's pretty good. 14 from the doctor. That was not a the but we do appreciate everyone coming out so close to the World Championships as well because um, you know I know that now the preparation's starting. We're into those final 48 hours. Um, you know everyone's hydrating. Uh, well, look, this, is, this is the good thing for me that I'm actually this is the best World Championships I've ever been to. This is, this is my sixth one. So yeah, tell you what, it's a lot more enjoyable when you don't actually have to race. Uh, a lot more fun. Macro, I've noticed you've got a beer as well though, is, a, is that part of nutrition from you or? I think you're trying to put me at a disadvantage. I didn't even want one, you just went and bought one for me. Well, that's what friends are for. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who are going to be enjoying that today too. Um, like I mentioned, super informal this afternoon as well. We're really lucky to be joined by some incredible athletes um, and an incredible crowd. So we do have something in store for you. Thanks to Vicobi as well, Pat the team have been such strong supporters of everything that we've done over the years as well, not just in terms of our own paddling, but also with the paddler and the paddler's pole. We've got two $100 gift vouchers to be giving away. So I think that's pretty good, yeah, yeah. There's two ways we're gonna give them away, right? The first is that we are gonna be taking questions from the crowd for all of our panel a little bit later on. So I want you to start thinking uh, throughout the discussions about what a question is that you can ask. Favorite question is gonna win one of those vouchers. The second is gonna be drawn at random for anyone who posts on their Instagram or on Facebook and tags us in their post as well, whether that's a, doesn't have to necessarily be on the grid. I'm not gonna you know, commit people to that, but if you put up an Insta story, um, it can be of you and your friends, it can be of people sitting out the front, it can be of anything, as long as it's in this room, you go into the draw to win that $100 voucher as well. Um, and we will be here this week too. We're not gonna run away with the vouchers uh, as far as I know, at least. Anyway, I guess Kenny Rice, he's already straight <laughs> on it. He's a world champion, ladies and gentlemen. He's like the past chance for a $100 voucher. We will be chatting to Kenny a little bit later. Jenna Smith will also be here. She's the current women's world champion. We'll be talking to Michelle Ray, who is the first women's world champion as well at the ICF event in 2013. But to kick things off, we are we have a man who has really grown a reputation in this sport. He's recently paddled sub three minutes 30 for a one kilometer split, which I think is an outstanding achievement. He's been turning a lot of heads down in Melbourne. He's on the Australian team to line up in the World Championships as well. How do we go? How's the tech going, Matt? Is it not quite coming through? Maybe Look, I guess before he... So we all know the golden, 
Valley Fruit on. Valley is quite a niche Australian reference. Look, I guess with his guest as well, he has, he has gone to six Olympic Games. He's won three gold medals and one bronze, and he's the great James Tompkins, who has seen the light and now the first three colour. Thank you, James. I'm the microphone there. Didn't quite go to plan, but I'll tell you what, they're great memories, that TV had. They are great memories. And it's a very consistent uh, Macca too. It's not often that I get that intro with that music being played. There <laughs> <laughs> oh, we go. <laughs> to be fair, that, that, that was Macca's contribution to this afternoon. Yeah, it's all right. I'm going to say that. Yeah. Hey, James, it's, um, you know what? We're having a laugh, but to actually reflect on what I was saying to Sam, it is pretty incredible to look back on six Olympic Games, three gold medals and one bronze. Seven world titles along the way as well. It's an outstanding sporting career, but I guess... Yeah. Yes, dual international. Now that you are a surfskate paddler, and that you are loving it as well, are you embarrassed about your rowing past now that you look back on it? Well, I was actually, I was paddling the other day. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. This one Okay. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, but I was paddling the other day going, and, uh, and I was thinking about rowing. And I thought, it is actually quite a strange sport. <laughs> to go backwards, to see where you've been as opposed to see where you're going. So, um, but, uh, you know, you guys only use half your bodies, so... Uh, uh, well, for some anyway, yeah, some of us have stronger legs than others. I'm not one of them, but I guess I know some people do leg drive out there as well. You've taken the surf ski paddling, I guess, so quickly too. Like, can you talk to everyone about just how you got involved in the sport and, and also what you love about it? Well, that person sitting there got me involved. Peter Flockhart. Um, I think Pete deserves a round of applause. What do you reckon? <laughs> it's a big scout for playing one of the greatest roles of all time, turn, making him turn his back on the sport. Well, Peter is a multiple uh, Masters world champion in his own right. So, uh, anyway. Not bad, Pete. Yeah, yeah, bit of a pump up. But, uh, no, Pete, Pete said you know, three or four years ago, you know, we should do Molokai, you need another challenge. And I thought, no way. And then about six months later, I thought, well, I do actually need a chance. I think everyone needs something outside of their normal life to aim for, you know, whether it's a physical activity or learn a language or an instrument, you know, something that you actually need to devote some time to. So I thought, that is probably something that I need to devote some time to, or to do it. And then, you know, having been involved in rowing and elite sport for a long period of time and the water, you know, to have something to aim for that involves boats and the water, uh, yeah, I love them. There's a bunch of other rowers now that are all um, getting into paddling as well, just because of that connection with the water. So, And that's about as far as the similarity goes. I spent more time in the water than on top of the bloody boat for about four months. My, the insides of my arms were black and blue with bruises from fucking... To climb back in this thing. I mean, Pete was frustrated. He was waiting for me the whole time. But I got the hang of it, finally. That must be a different experience, right? You go from the top of something, the very, very top, and now you are, I don't want to say it, but you're back to beginner level, right? Well, I, I, was. To me. I think that's quite right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was a beginner. You said four months in the water, swimming the whole time. Well, that was a long time ago. Oh, hard, well, so take no, us back, no, no, back then. No, I'll tell you what, to do at my age, to do something that you're an absolute beginner at and have to work out, um, like it's fantastic for your brain, yeah. like it really is. To uh, you know, you can go and you can set a challenge of going to run a marathon or a big bike ride, and people know how to run and they know how to ride. They just got to get fit. But this was like learn something so foreign 
you know, it's a really complex movement. Rowing is very linear and very, you know, it's very calm order and very linear straight up and down. But this got your things going all over the place. And the rotation aspect. So to learn something was fantastic. I loved it. Like just that being a child and learning something from scratch. It's cool. James, what was your age when you started? If you don't mind me asking, when you started Cersei Tyler? Uh, I'm just going to do the maths. Uh, 28? <laughs> no, 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 55. Do we have many people in the room who have started kind of around the you know, mid middle age or late in life? Yeah, gee, plenty of hands going up as well. So I guess a lot of people can relate to that experience too. Like, you know, I guess having your elite sporting background, did you find yourself kind of wanting to try and jump ahead in leaps and bounds? Or have you kind of embraced this part of Sersky paddling where... You, you wouldn't know, believe how many YouTube videos, you know, hand here, <laughs> oh, no, no, some Oscar says this, uh, David says that, you know. I don't <laughs> even want to talk about how many times he's called zero, me asking about what paddle... Zero feather? Oh, zero feather? Oh, <laughs> you know, same, same question, over and over. <laughs> no, I mean, there is that, yeah, I mean, it's an affliction. To want to do well, yeah, I want to. I want to do really well, and um, so I'm always going to be trying to find things, talking to A, B about which fin I'm going to use uh, on Thursday, um, yeah, all that sort of stuff. It's all, uh, and I did it with bloody rowing. I mean, we used to muck around with the boats, millimeter adjustments, and uh, any sort of golf. I'm always stucking around with the clubs and whatnot or tennis. So paddling's the same. Talking to Macca, my chief advisor, played. Uh, you know what? Blade length, well, there's not much you can adjust actually. Length Ask Oscar, you can adjust many things. <laughs> and the race advice from Mac has been good too. It's have one really strong race, make sure your next race you're further back in the pack and then go back and forth. Serious well. improvement there, no one can really. But you know what, James, like for someone who, again, you know, has raced at the highest level for so long, Surfskier paddling is opening your eyes to a lot of things too, because I can imagine that you would have thought that you knew about how to prepare for a race, how to eat, the nutrition that goes involved in it. But you had a bit of an eye-opening experience oh. at the doctor on Saturday, right? I certainly did. <laughs> it was extraordinary. Uh, so I was wandering through the Dome Cafe and saw Macca and Corey Hill sitting there lonely, you know, very nervous before the race, just uh, looking down at their Gatorades. And so Pete and I wandered past and invited ourselves to join them. And, uh, and so, you know, this is, this is probably, I don't know, how? Two hours, two hours? No, no, not even. Not even an hour and a half before the race. And uh, yeah, having gone, you know, I understand nutrition and what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat an hour and a half before a race. So I think, oh, maybe just a little bit of toast, jam toast, something like that. Just have something like that. Lo and behold, a steak sandwich turns up for Corey <laughs> with chips and a coffee. And then who is it down in about five minutes? I go, you can't, you, you're elite. You're like, that is not elite <laughs> behaviour. Anyway, it seemed to work. Macca, you, you may well have uh, done with a steak sandwich, mate. So. No, you, you got me on the ham and cheese toasty, and I think that's where it all went downhill. Yeah, it was, it was funny. I, I caught up with Corey out, yeah, after the race, and he said, the fact that we were questioning him so much, he started to question himself. Well, luckily for Corey, you keep putting him on his regard as, you know, one of the strongest performances he's had from the doctor as well, so maybe we should take notice. But, you know, with that in mind too, this is the first world championships you've been to for surf ski paddling. These kind of elements to the sport, you know, now paddling yourself and understanding what goes into the training, the skills that I guess all of the paddlers, and not just the ones at the front, but right through the course need to complete something like a crossing or, you know, even a 20k race, you know, like we're going to on Thursday. Are you surprised 
You know, is, is it somewhat eye-opening to you? Did you realise what goes into the sport from what you knew? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's yeah, obviously the technical aspect, but then also the reading of the conditions. And in fact, like for a recreational paddle, the better you get, the less fit you have to be. Because the better you are on the run. So um, uh, to a certain extent, unless you're the elite guys when you're trying to paddle over everything. But yeah, like there's so many aspects. As I said, rowing, super linear. You know, they won't run the race if it's unfair. You know, if there's any wind, it'll, everyone, six lanes have to be absolutely the same. Whereas out here, you know, run it, the stronger the wind, the better. And then it's just up to technical aspects, your physical preparation, then the ability to read the, read the ocean. I like that. And the stark difference isn't it, you know, in rowing that it has to be so even, whereas in surf ski paddling, sometimes you can start 200 metres ahead of everyone. And, and by the time the finish line comes around, we all just kind of, you know, shrug our shoulders and say, don't worry about it. Um, James, you're also now involved in surf ski paddling at an administrative level as well with Paddle Australia, chair of the Australian Technical Committee of Ocean Racing. Where was the motivation to kind of get involved to that extent? Because, you know, that's, that is a step up on just recreationally paddling and enjoying just going around in the pack. Yeah, well, I think, well, I, I, you know, I fell in love with the sport and having been involved um, with the Australian Olympic Committee and the IOC as well, you sort of understand, you know, how sport should be run and how it should be athlete-centric. Athletes always at the forefront of every decision. And so that's why, you know, the decision to change was athlete-centric, to get the best conditions for the athletes to compete in. So I think, you know, that, that sort of mindset and to have the um, ability to get involved and... Uh, you know, some very good uh, uh, fellow members, Mac is on it, Ant D, um, Stewie Quiner's in here somewhere or other, I think. Um, yeah, some really good people. Fresh. Uh, yeah, haven't, you know, personally, I haven't obviously been around the sport for a long time. So a fresh lens to look at the sport and bring some ideas, some relationship skills and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, try and work together with the incumbents. You know, we've, we've been in his series. You know, an incredible series. Incre legend of the sport as an athlete and legend of the sport as an administrator and putting events on and that Paddle Australia should be able to work together with such a such an organisation cohesively and, and support one another. Speaking of being an athlete, now I don't know if this should be made public, but you did admit to me that when you used to race, uh, you would wish that the bus would break down oh. <laughs> and you got that nervous. I how, how do you deal with that now, transitioning into this sport? Are you well, still as nervous? Well, you only get nervous when you've got a chance of winning, Macca. And I am so calm, it's uh, not <laughs> No, we, uh, you know, we went into a lot of the Olympics as, as favourites, and seriously, I hated it. Uh, just the lead in the last few months, like it would be months, and this bloody race is on your mind and you're supposed to win. Like there's no there's no upside. If you win it, that's what you're supposed to do. But if you lose, plenty of downside. Disaster in another four years. And yeah, there was a few times where I was on the bus hoping to break down, have an accident. And I could sit here on the Paddlers podcast and say, Mac, you wouldn't believe it. We would have won in whatever it was, but the, the bus, bus broke, broke down. <laughs> we didn't get to the start. So yeah, just that, that fear of of I love the training. And I loved all that technical aspect, but you know, that's scary to test yourself. And rowing is, you know, essentially it's, it's incredibly technical, but it's incredibly physical over a six minute race. Like essentially the last stroke you row should be the last one you can possibly take. Like you're supposed to be smashed at the end of it. So that's really daunting. 
to put yourself on the line as much as that and to know that you know, 10.20 Sunday morning, somewhere in the world, you know, say Spain for the Barcelona Olympics, there's six boats and someone's going to be an Olympic champion in six minutes' time. <laughs> Same thing will happen here on Thursday, just yeah. over an hour and ten minutes, though. Yeah, but it's, it's pretty, you know, you've got to lay it on the line and you test yourself against everyone else. And I mean, as soon as the starter said go, then you're away, <laughs> clearly. But, yeah, the, uh, just the build-up, I didn't really like well, good luck for everyone racing the world champs, I guess. Um, you know. Let's hope the buses don't yeah. Who's <laughs> nervous? Actually, let's have a, who is actually nervous or who, you know, who's got a chance to win? Because you only get nervous when you've got a chance. Hands up. Okay, no, we're, no, we're all partners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, we we've got two world champions in the room. We've got a couple of former world champions as well. But yeah, no one's got a chance. Um, James, I think you're downplaying your first here paddling ability as well now because not only... And this is the reason we're actually going to keep you up on stage as well to ask some of the questions to our guests today is because not only is James actually now my colleague at Channel 9, he's going to be commentating the rowing at the Paris Olympics next year, which, you know, is an extraordinary reflection. I think I deserve a round of applause. An extraordinary reflection of his More importantly, believe it or not, it's only been a couple of years of paddling, but he's also going to commentate the canoe sprints as well for Channel 9. So clearly someone's watching his paddling out there as well. Yeah, indeed. He's indeed. now an expert in the field. Sammy, I did it. Uh, I did it in 2012 as well. I did special comments for rowing and. She would love to have heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I did it with James Brayshaw. He had no idea about either sports. I had no idea about one of the sports. And again, I mentioned Pete Flockhart, but during races, I would text Pete, "How do they steer these things?" <laughs> and then I would get a text, and I would read it out verbatim. Oh, there's a little uh, bar, and they push their feet on the side, and. Uh, and then he just kept on feeding me, so I basically commentated off the. Geez, the Russians are coming up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Russians are coming. Yeah, so well, maybe if anyone's got any suggestions for James this time around as well, feel free to get them in. But for now, we're going to get our next guest up as well. I don't know if our music was really necessarily working tonight, so we might have to we might have to forfeit the idea unless you're unless you've got other ideas. No, I got up. nothing. But look, we keep no, 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 I'm going to move along. Like yeah, that. we're going to move. Stay, you stay right there. Look, we were speaking about commentary at the Olympics as well. As I understand it, our next guest actually might be doing that too. And she has plenty of other achievements to her name as well. Ten years ago, she was the very first ICF female ocean racing world champion. She's one of South what? Africa's greatest products, a pioneer of women's paddling. And that's before she went to the USA yeah. too. That sounds actually quite yeah. good. She went to the United States. She's coached over there for a long time. And now she's not only the naughty dealer in the US, but also mellow as well. Please give a huge round of applause to Michelle Ray. Michelle. And James, although you do an outstanding job, we actually one mic down, so I might even get your hand out to Michelle too. Michelle, thanks, thanks for your time, and welcome to welcome to the Paddle Spot, the first time that we've had you on chatting as well, um, and a timely one. Ten years since the 2013 ICF Ocean Racing World Championships were first held in Portugal. That must be a little bit nostalgic. I can't believe it really, 10 years, I mean, it just seems like yesterday and I uh, almost don't want to admit it's been 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully a lot of time has passed since then. I know for Macro and I, that was our first ever trip overseas racing. Um, I think it ended with Mako pretty drunk, climbing a statue, ripping off his flare that he actually had for the race too. Is that, we're not talking about that? Or yeah, that, I reckon that. Yeah. <laughs> but he has grown up since then, I, I do, I do promise. 
That is a fair point. I'm trying to. I am trying to track down that video evidence, but I'm. I'm pretty keen to keep it under wraps. I think that'd be a sensible option. We might bury that for now. Look, we we have had a grueling week of racing here with the Shore Partners WA Race Week. It was hot. It was flat, and that's actually quite similar to what those World Championships were like in 2013 as well. What are your memories of that day and of the race? You know, um, I think they had the same problem with like some sort of high pressure just sitting off the coast of Portugal and we had a three day window, which not as good as the four day one here, but um, there was just no wind. And I don't know, but I'm not, I might have gone to the Olympics for flat water, but I'm better at a downwind <laughs> and I was so nervous. Um, I'd also gone over to the US for a job interview, so I'd missed the national trial. And at that point, we, I think Australia and South Africa were allowed five quota spots, but South Africa only seeded two. And at the time, Tennille Hatton had the 1,000 meter world record, and so you just want to be seated next to her, right? <laughs> and uh, I remember I wasn't seated, and I was down on the far side of the beach, and she took off like the clappers, and the whole wave train just got on the, the Tennille train, and I think I turned like a minute and a half off the pace. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then so from that can we had a turn and there was just one more buoy to go around and it was just flat and there was a bit of ocean swell but no real wind chop and it was a good tight race and I think we all finished within 20 seconds of each other but ultimately yeah, it wasn't, I mean, and that's the thing with both champs and, and most thirsty racing, I think you just have to be good in all conditions if you want to end up going home with the title because you just never know what you're going to get. For anyone that doesn't remember, you might want to talk us through the start. Um, there was about 300 paddle gates along the beach of Portugal, which is completely new to me and to us, to a lot of people. They do it in the cellar descent. Basically, you put your paddle into a locking system and then you stand there and your boats are 50 metres down, well, 20 metres down the beach and it was a running Le Mans start into the water, hence why it was advantageous to get on to Neil Hatton's watch. Shoulder to shoulder, and yeah. if that wasn't enough, like you couldn't actually kind of stand front on either, so everyone was kind of awkwardly side on. <laughs> and, and they, they had the, the heartbeat. minute before the, 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 the start of the race, as if it wasn't nerve-wracking enough over the PA system, which was incredibly loud on reflection, they just had the sound of a heartbeat. And, and that played for about 60 seconds. We were, we were on the same paddle log. Yeah, there was a couple of blocks for the under-18 um, men. And so the way it works is that, that someone's standing on the end of this pole and they need to pull the, the lever essentially to release the paddle so that you can run. So you know, you're already tight enough standing there, but when the starting hooter sounded, I guess you know, that heartbeat, it worked against the guy that was standing on our pole he couldn't pull it. So everyone's <laughs> ran forward and just been completely pulled backwards and then yelling and trying to, I remember just running in the water, you would have had a similar experience of just running and just skis and people everywhere and it was, it was dog eat dog, it was so brutal. I actually forgot about that and um, now that I'm thinking, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> I'd done the cellar the year before, so I'd seen those terrible gates and uh, the heartbeat, I forgot about that. that yeah. I think I put that out of my mind. Bad memories, that yeah. one. Although, good memories. Good memories, uh, yeah, totally. It's great to have a year at the World Championship this year as well, and you know, still involved in the sport of surf skate paddling, you know, so heavily in the US, like I mentioned before. But you know, I guess now, you know, not hey, not that you won't win the World Championship this year as well, but you know, I know that you're also casting your eye over the field too. Like, you know, how do you view the progression of women's paddling that we're seeing as well? Because, you know, in the last few years there's been incredible leaps and bounds, you know. There must be a sense of pride in, in seeing all of that unfold too, you know, having helped pioneer that. Totally. And firstly, I'm 
the bus doesn't need to break down. I'm not nervous at all. So, <laughs> so I'm happy to be here and and just to be a part of it. I haven't raced since Hong Kong, and and um, you know it's interesting watching the women's field over the years. And I mean, when I first started paddling, I started with nippers like all South Africans do. And you know, back when I started, don't want to give away my age too much, but boys and girls were combined. There was no separate category. And then I got to a certain age, and they actually divided us up and. You know, even my first round of paddling and skis, it was just everyone together. There was no real gender division. Um, but having, it's, it, it ebbs and flows like anything, right? And I think we are seeing a lot more women paddling, which is exciting. And I think that's a combination of factors. I think one, you have to see it to do it, right? So the more women we have paddling, winning, being on TV, standing up in front of rooms and talking, the more the young girls coming up see that and realize that is an opportunity for them to take. Um, secondly, I think the manufacturers play a huge role that we don't really think about until we start selling services, but um, having boats that fit women, I mean, I am not you, and you're not me, and we're not gonna share a boat, right? Like, I have short legs and I weigh, I mean, yeah. But ultimately, we're, we're different, different physiologically and and with different, different physically as well. So two really big differences when it comes to coaching and when it comes to, to boats. So I think you know, seeing the manufacturers coming up with lighter volume boats and on the, on the shop end of the, of the world here and then on the beginning end, which is as important, right, getting more people and more women into the sport, we need stable boats and we need light boats because there's another physi physiological difference is we don't have the same strength and picking up a, a heavy boat really really matters when you're a woman. I hope all men come back one day as females and have to lift a heavy ski onto the roof of their car. Um, and then in terms of you know coaching, I think we're, we're finally at a point where, you know, I have a sports science background and when I look at all the research papers, I always look at the sample of who it was done on and it's always men, it's never women. So you know, when, I, when I'm trying to write training programs for female athletes, it's, it's, it's not the same. And even the data I'm getting and the information I'm getting you know, 10 years ago, there was so much less studies on high-performing females, whereas now we're seeing a lot more information on that. And even you know, with, with performing athletes into their late 30s and 40s, we're seeing like early menopause information coming out now, which is just amazing. It's something that's been spoken about. And, and because of that, I think we're gonna just keep seeing growth and more women and more high-performing women. I think our standards always been high. That's never been a problem. We've always had a high, sharp end, but I think we've maybe lacked the depth. And I think that's the next step where really, it is getting more depth in yeah. the women's sport. Yeah, well said, Michelle. And, and you kind of referenced it there too. And a little bit earlier, you won a few South Africans to have represented uh, your nation at the Olympics as well in canoe sprint. You have a canoe sprint coaching history as well, which you were alluding to there. I guess, you know, making that transition from athlete to coach and an and incredibly successful one, what are some of those qualities that you found in coaching that I guess that did strike a chord with you and made it something that you wanted to pursue? You know, I, that's actually a good question because I think sometimes you have a really bad coach and that makes you want to never be that coach, which is not you know, a positive step to start on, but it also shows you what, what shouldn't be done, right? And maybe it is a, a good way to then dive deep. But I think we do a lot of our new and emerging coaches a disservice when we take them straight out of high performance sport and we throw them in as a coach and expect them to know what to do. It's like saying, you know, you finish high school and now you just teach high school math. And I wouldn't want that. <laughs> you might have passed your math exam in your final year of high school, but it doesn't mean you have the skills and, and you know, skill set basically to coach. So I think for me personally, I've, I've coached for a long time, um, but 
but I've, I've never really been taught to coach, so a lot of it's from experience, and then recently I have been educating myself in the actual other side of coaching, which, I mean, you could call it the soft skills, but, you know, training programs, physiology, all of those things are just one thing, but I think having the correct environment and, and having the, the right group and creating all the right relationships is so important, and it feels like the world is shifting that way, and it, it's been a, an amazing way to stay involved in the sport. I mean, I love coaching. I, honestly, coaching at the Olympics versus paddling at the Olympics, the difference really was the nerves. I wasn't nervous. I didn't need the bus to break down in my Olympics. I knew I wasn't going to win a medal, but we, I, <laughs> I, I was, uh, you know, we were confident and we had a good warm-up routine and um, the nerves kind of took care of themselves. But fast forward a few years and I was coaching at the Olympics and I was a wreck. <laughs> like, a total wreck. It was so bad. I couldn't, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't watch the race almost. I mean, it was, so it's been a good experience mostly, but um, it is a nice way to stay involved. So for James, he just whispered in my ear, I think I've got a new coach. What would, be, <laughs> what would be some words of wisdom that you impart, or maybe even just one word of wisdom? It doesn't make sense, but... Oh, no, more than one. More than I, one. I think you might need more than one. Well, I was yeah. going to say for the race on Thursday, if you were to, to pinpoint one thing, but then I guess moving forward for everyone um, mm -hmm. in, in the sport of ocean paddling. Ooh, on the spot. Um. That's what we like to do. <laughs> Well, I suppose, depending on, on, on who you are and what you're hoping to achieve here, there's always that, I'm a, I'm a big realist, and I kind of sometimes get myself in trouble because I'm like, you know the work you've done, and you know the result you possibly could achieve. So there's that hope of expectation. Where are you on the bus breakdown? Where are you? <laughs> That's a better way to put it. So are you nervous? Are you not nervous? How much have you prepared? But um, I think the bottom line is, at the end of the day, looking back at the last 10 years or the last 30 years of paddling, I don't remember the winning or the losing, but I do remember the fun that I've had. And I'm not going to rah, rah, rah and tell you to go out there and have fun, but I am going to say, you know, at the end of the paddle, if you finish and you are ahead of all the people you usually are racing, you've done well. If you're finishing around people you're, you're better than, you, you've, you've done badly. So ultimately, I think, you know, it's a technical sport. Physical stuff's done. Nothing else can really, really change or get better. But you can ruin it in the last two days. So you know you want to stay relaxed and and try and um, not worry about the bus breaking down and just kind of enjoy the runs. Maybe you should put that beer down back. Yeah. Don't worry about me. It's you. You. <laughs> James, I do apologise. We did we did ask you to stick around for your commentary skills. We haven't shared the microphone with you. We'll get James. If you got to if you do have a question to ask Michelle, I do have one more before then. Um, you know, we're speaking a lot about the new sprint, obviously back at the Surfski World Championships. Now listen, like we do like flat water kayaking. I know a lot of people here paddle in flat water kayaks too, but for you personally, at heart, are you a Surfski paddler or are you a kayaker now? Never, never not been a Surfski paddler. <laughs> I think that deserves a round of applause for very much. We are really grateful to have you up here today too. Um, you know, being so close to the World Championships, we're on that bus to break down. So yeah, again, really grateful for your time. We also have two, the two current World Champions that are actually here tonight as well. Um, so we're gonna bring them up on stage now and we'll start with, uh, because we must have the most important, Kenny, you are important, but we're gonna bring Jenna Smith up first. She's just come off an incredible week at the Shore and Partners WA Race Week where she broke through for her first victory at the Doctor. Really all four down the right
you may as well not have cash to spend. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really enjoy my bike riding. It's a good change of scenery. It's somewhere you can go and you can you can not be good at it. You can be an absolute kook. So I'm enjoying doing that. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of confidence and stuff, I think there's only one real way. So I do actually feel confident that that would be like the gorge. Um, but everything else, you come to the surf ski race at 10 a.m. You could be world champion, but if the race started at one o'clock, you might not be world champions. I think that's a pretty, pretty unique sport from that aspect. You, you're not guaranteed to win. It could be your day, could be your hour, but it, it all changes. So you can't really be too confident. You can just be confident, like Michelle was saying, and that you've done the work you need to do, and just trust in your ability and your training. Found you a new sport. When you're down here, what's cycling? Yeah, cycling. <laughs> the hay pods for you, those legs. Unbelievable. Um, hey, this is the guys we're getting as well. Feel free to come in if you want to as well. We've got plenty of room um, over near the 776 end if you want to come in. Don't feel pressured. Um, and if anyone wants to get a drink as well, make sure you go to the bar as well throughout. I appreciate all the respect that's being shown. We don't really deserve it. So make sure you do get some refreshments too. Um, Single fin. That's <laughs> Look, the, I guess for both of you guys, you know, coming into this um, world championships, you know, you, you had different experiences at the WA Race Week as well. Um, you know, I'm sure you won't mind me saying, but you know, Jamie, you won every downwind race, or you know, what was supposed to be downwind race that there was, and you came second in the dash for cash and Ken. You know, didn't have the week that you necessarily wanted to as well. So, you know, particularly after winning the doctor last year as well. But I guess for the two of you. How do you reset? You know, it's, it's a really interesting month of racing that we've seen around the world, and that's been, I guess, heightened here in Perth. It's two weeks of races, and you know, the last thing that you want to do with athletes is, is drop your head. It's, a, it's an interesting kind of challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I think for sure. I think, especially WA Race Week being so many races packed into such a short time frame, and the conditions that we got over here, obviously, it was there wasn't too much wind around it, it was really hot. so. That presented a unique set of challenges in itself so i think for me it was just about trying to reset um, between every race and know that every race that we're going to do there's so many incredible women that were lining up on the line and um yeah i really had to bring my a game to every race so i think that's been no different now that race week's finished and we've moved on to the world championships i've had a couple of nice days just to recover and kind of get my mind away from paddling which has been really nice and then yeah these past couple of days just start to switch back on and go for a little white paddle today and um, get ready for the world champs on Thursday in the singles. So it'll be a really great race. I've got no doubt about it again. But um, yeah, just start to start thinking about things again now and start to get into that sort of competition mind frame again. Yeah, we um, the Sapphire House was definitely the, the sick house, so that didn't, didn't help the spirits for the week. But um, it's just a race. If you have shit days. <laughs> Um, you, you know, you just got to learn how to reset um, and move on. It happens and you, you kind of just got to roll with the punches. Um, but yeah, it was quite funny paddling with Corey this afternoon actually and he was like, man, it doesn't feel like a normal world champs. We just, nobody's really paddled since Saturday and here we are going for a float together. And you know, it's, it's quite, a, a, quite a strange dynamic, especially coming somewhere like Perth where everyone is so crazy about paddling. There's downwind shuttles and Apparently there's wind, all I know is there's lots of flies. <laughs> so yeah, it's, my arms are pretty tired. Yeah, it's like kind of coming and doing a bit of a gym session here for the whole day. Um, but yeah, you just roll with the punches, have a good time, appreciate being in such a beautiful place. Do you, can I, I'll ask a question, Sam. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very, very assertive. <laughs> he grabbed his beer and went, made a mic too. No, you know, the, the day before with your boat and your equipment, you sort of, 
you know, checking everything and rechecking or you know, just changing a few little things? Or like, do you go over it with a fine tooth comb or is it a bit more relaxed? No. You, um... <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured that from you actually. It was more to Gemma. That's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think for me, all the setup and that's already done. So you've gone out for the paddle probably the day before just to make sure your boat's all good and everything's, yeah, all in working order. But yeah, nothing really changes for me. Don't really change anything on the day before. Just know that what you've been doing in training is hopefully going to transfer to the race and everything will be the same. Okay. Michelle, if you have a question too, I will come to you in a moment. But just, um, you know, and everyone in the crowd, actually, as well. We are going to start opening up questions in the crowd in a moment too. But I guess just one more from me. For, for the two of you, you know, everyone in the room, although, you know, we're joking about wanting buses to break down and not wanting to race and this and that, everyone does get a little bit nervous for their own goals and ambitions when you do line up in a race. So I guess, you know, the question being, how do you personally handle, you know, the occasion? What are you trying to tell yourself? What are you trying to focus on before the start of a race? Um, I think for me, um, leading into a race, I'm kind of just thinking about what I want to try and execute and know that I want to leave everything out there. And at the end of the day, at the end of the race, I can leave the beach knowing that I've given it my all. Um, I think that's something that I've really tried to um, do over the last couple of years. And it's always something that, you know, you learn as you continually progress as an athlete. You know, you reflect on a race afterwards and go, I could have done this better or... Um, I really needed to do this just to be able to execute a little bit better. Um, so that's something for me that um, I'll be trying to do when I go to race, just make sure that I give it everything I can. Um, I try and yeah, execute it as best as I can and get the most out of the ocean. I think on Thursday, the conditions are hopefully looking pretty good compared to what we've had across the, the past couple of weeks. So um, yeah, just really making sure that I've got everything I can out of the ocean and then I can be happy with what I've put on the race. Yeah, I think ocean paddling for me, it's not really control controllables. Try not to get too fussed about stuff that you can't worry about. Um, make sure you've, you've set up all your all your stuff and yeah, get in a good headspace and prepare to hurt yourself um, more than what you normally would. Um, I guess that's just the daunting thing. But normally for me, I would yeah, try to force myself to eat something. But that's the, the nerves. Nice. The nerves. Nice. Nice. <laughs> no, no. Diet, yogurt. <laughs> um, yeah, just try to get in a good headspace, maybe some music. I often quieten down quite a bit and just control those controllables. Don't get worked about it, worked up about if the wind isn't blowing or if something's running late or if Uli's still brushing his teeth or, you know, like, <laughs> you, um, you can't do anything about it. Well, actually, just on... Again, I know I said uh, last one, but you know, I was reflecting actually just then when you're speaking about your preparation. There was one thing that stunned me a couple of years ago. Um, for those who don't know, um, I'm the little known third Bryce brother of Sean and Kenny and myself. We we actually stayed together the world titles in 2019 uh, in a house. Um, and I'll tell you what, it was incredibly successful too, because I guess between the three of us, we brought in the world title that year. We had a silver medal too, and uh, I didn't finish the race that day, but you know, I guess that, that was all pretty good. Um, you and Sean went for a run that morning. Is that something that you do often? Is that something you're still doing? Yeah, so that day I had a good suspicion I might beat Sean, and I knew I'd been running a lot, and I knew he hadn't been running, so I was kind of like, Sean, let's go for a run. It's really good for a run. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, you're doing that. I was like, yeah. Golden, golden. Because I'd been in the gorge that year, so he was like, okay, let's give it a bash. <laughs> so then we were running down the road towards the registration, and I was like, giving it, and Sean was like, going, and 
were both heaving. We both run like wounded buffaloes. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty in this little French seaside village. I mean, everyone was rushing back inside their houses, but um, <laughs> the pavement was moving. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> they did send us a municipal bill afterwards. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, yeah, it depends on the, the type of race you're doing. Sometimes you can get on the water, um, like the gorge, for example, you can't get on the water. So going for a bit of a, a jog or a wog or whatever before does help. Um, and also it gets you away from, yeah, we love everyone here, but it gets you away from everyone. <laughs> it just gives you your own peace of mind. Gets us away from Sam. <laughs> so then I'm going to pick follow up because we've got two world champions and a serial winning Olympic medalist. <laughs> Um, so for warm-up, you don't have to give away your secrets, because we've got people listening, we know. But give me just a quick like length of warm-up and a brief overview of how hard it would get in the warm-up. For you, for you, and then obviously for the rowing, not, not, we're not interested in the search. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not yet anyway. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. hold that, hang on. <laughs> Three days. Not yet. <laughs> okay. um, it it kind of depends on the type of race that I can see is going to unfold. Um, like Doctor, for example, would involve paddling from the beach to the Dome Cafe um, <laughs> to grab a coffee. But yeah, normally you'll, I would try to warm up the day before and really maybe a, a hard four minute and a couple of 30 seconds just to try to flush out the lungs and, and get yourself feeling um, sort of fresh and lightening up with like feeling your arms and, and feeling like you can actually move. I find it quite difficult to actually warm up on the morning because you get a bit you get a bit nervous and then you start overthinking things and you start thinking, oh, I'm actually quite sore. I'm actually not feeling this sore. So just try and get there and enjoy the rest. Yeah, I think I'm pretty similar. I usually like to go for a little bit of a paddle the day before just to get everything in order, make sure everything's good. But the morning of or just before the race, I like to make sure to have a good warm up, especially because um, some of the speed of the girls <laughs> off the line at the moment is just absolutely incredible. So I like to make sure that I'm ready to go. So I'm probably on the water probably 15, 20 minutes before, just go for a bit of a cruisy paddle for probably five, 10 minutes and then do some kind of mid speed pieces and then some really like fast starts just to make sure that I'm ready to go off the start line um, and try and yeah, take off and be able to keep up with the rest of the girls. So in the row, yeah, speaks. Uh, <laughs> so we do, yeah, half an hour on, or we'd be similar, like the two days before the race, we'd do a big blowout session, a thousand metres flat out and blow the lungs out. And then a light paddle the day before, um, we'd have people, yeah, my question about equipment, we'd have people polishing the boat and checking and rechecking everything and measuring stuff. And yeah, not bad, is it? Making, uh, <laughs> making sure everything's right. And then on race day, you know, half an hour on land warm up. So just getting stretching and whatnot. And then 30, 35 minutes on water. And again, just getting all the different energy systems. It's a six or five and a half to six and a half minute race. So getting the aerobic system going, some starts, and then trying to get into rhythm. Like it's only a six minute race, but you do need to get into that middle race rhythm and try and be as efficient as possible. But uh, yeah, like you're doing a warm up and your legs are feeling terrible and you're feeling lethargic. It's like, oh shit, you know, I'm feeling terrible. <laughs> Shouldn't have done this. Shouldn't have done this, but um, no, you just got to go through that and uh, just focus on what you're doing. And, and actually, in particular, we used to get ahead of ourselves and you'd be thinking 2,000 metres down the track and the finish line. But what you really, and for everyone, you know, those, those first 10 strokes out of the start and then transition into that next phase of the race. And then on, you know, on Thursday, when you're getting toward the boy, nailing that to the turning marker and then that first you know, minute in, to get into rhythm in the, uh, in the downwind portion. So it's sort of, you know, focusing on each of those parts of 
our rowing race every 250 metres and just trying to do those as well as you possibly can. And you put them all together, it's probably a really good performance instead of focusing on that finish line. Yeah, thanks, James. I'll tell you what, that surf advice wasn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't well. help himself, hey? Hey, for those who have just joined us or, or did join us throughout um, the chat as well, we do have a couple of giveaways uh, tonight too, thanks to Mike Hobie, who have been such strong supporters of, of the Paddler and of the Paddler's Pod as well uh, for Macro and I throughout the years. So we have a $100 gift voucher that we are giving away uh, to a random drawer of anyone who posts on social media of the night and tags us in it, whether that's on your story. Um, whether that is a view, whether that's a view and your friends or us having a chat, whatever it is. Um, feel free to put a post up. If you can go and draw to win $100, just make sure you tag us, thepaddle.news. Um, and the second is for the best question. Now, we're going to open up questions to the floor. I think it's about 20 past six, so we might give it 15 minutes. So, Mac is about to get up and do a bit of walking, limber up oh, his yeah, legs for the race. The I'm going to sit back. I've home. got half a beer, so I'm going to sit back and relax. Um, I'll take my half a beer. But when you have a, when you have a question, um, look, just throw your hand up. We'll try and get through all of them. As I said, about 15 minutes. Um, just start off by saying who your question is directed to. And, and yeah, is nothing off limits? Nothing's off limits. So, uh, yeah, what do we have? Okay, hand there, Matthew, you're on straight away. Oh, make sure you introduce yourself as well before you do ask your questions. You wanna... Please don't make me run either. I did break my foot for those of you know. You've told everyone. Yeah, I know. Jimmy, it's Kenny Dodd and the excuses have started. Uh, Mickey Macker. <laughs> <laughs> Pass these mics along too. Oh, hi guys, uh, I'm Gay. I'm um, doing a Fitness program. I'm um, Fitness program. Love being here. My question is biased around nutrition. I guess we've heard about the steak sandwich, but I'm relatively new to the sport. I'm hearing Michelle's comments about um, women getting into the sport. I guess my buddy Joe and I are here, middle-aged women that have started this. But I come from a different sporting background. I've been more doing to triathlons and bike riding, so I'm also a sports dietitian. In my other sports, everybody talks about how many grams of carbs per hour did you consume in your longer races and events. And none of the paddling people that I talk to seem terribly focused on their nutrition and what they're doing. And I'm really interested, maybe in the start, um, like for you know, Gemma and our world champion Michelle as well, when you're in an event like the doctor, which is longer than one hour, I guess even at your level, but my level it'll be lots of stuff. How are you managing nutrition? Feels really tricky in a boat, your hands are busy on the paddle, you've got all this stability stuff going on. What are you eating? What are you taking? Um, what thoughts do you have, suggestions do you have for um, us newbie paddlers around managing our nutrition in a competition training setting? Yeah, no, that is a really good question and something that I'm continually experimenting with, um, obviously across all the different races. The length and duration differs, um, and obviously being paddling as well, as you mentioned, it is really hard um, to take on board stuff if you're continually paddling. So for me and the doctor on the weekend, I knew it was going to be hot, so I tried to do a lot of it beforehand and across the week. So just really trying to keep down on all the essentials. I was drinking heaps of water, taking on lots of electrolytes throughout the week. Um, and then in terms of food, I try and do as much of it before the race as I can. I did have some gels with me on the weekend. Um, and I kind of I tend to have them kind of half torn just in like the tip of my paddle pants just in case I needed it. My intention wasn't to use it, um, but I knew that when we got halfway across and the wind kind of eased off a little bit, um, I knew it was going to be a bit of a longer race, so I actually did take on board one of my gels halfway or about 18k just to make sure I had enough at the finish. Um, but yeah, you kind of like grabbed it, put it in my mouth, did a couple of paddle strokes, squeezed it again. So it can be a bit tricky to try and onboard stuff when you're paddling. I think. When the conditions are a bit more favourable, there's a bit more wind behind you. If you're kind of surfing, you can kind of 
have take on board a little bit more, but when it's flat, I tend to just want to just keep paddling the whole time. So it kind of depends on the conditions for me and how long the race will be, but um, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, there's a, or I've been working with a company called Precision Fuel Navigation, and one of their things, they do a lot of triathlon stuff, and they say is you really have to practice this during your training. So taking on goose and stuff, you shouldn't be afraid. I know, especially at home, I, my coach said it to me like two months ago, I had a goo or a, a goo, a gel, just before we went on a miller's run because I knew I hadn't eaten the whole day and I was like rushed there after work and I was having a gel and it was just a carb-based gel and he was like, what, what the hell are you having that for? That's for racing. You know, there's that stigma around it and you can even ask Hank, there's like coke and water, that's just like, that's the thing at home and nobody really thinks about it, but um, really practicing consuming your carbs and consuming your caffeine outside of racing so that when you are racing it's quite a normal thing for you to do so don't have new juice bottles or whatever those two liter juice bottles are hydration pack make sure those things are well worn in like it's something that's a staple that you take with you when you go train if you're going to train for an hour you have juice with you it's simple take it with you in your hydration bag and you know you can drink it while you're going um, especially with the guru wrappers and stuff it's not as simple as just taking it and consuming it you can't just throw it in the water you know, you've got to have it and be able to be stable enough to put it into your, into your life jacket or into the front of your boat so that it can't come out. Um, but yeah, definitely the consumption of, of food and stuff on board is very difficult unless you can stop. But really try to find, or for me, it's try to find a high carb-based energy drink that you can have that doesn't have too much sugars, that spikes you too much. Um, and one of the tricks they helped me with and the guys do it in short triathlon racing is like having a gel before the start because you don't realize how much energy you burn before the start of a race and it's not necessarily a sugar-based gel but more like a caffeine and carb-based gel so that you're not depleting your stores before you even start and yeah i hope we use well you guys uh, have flew yeah for this race i don't know if it's going to take an hour and 15 or something rather for you fast people will you have fluids on Thursday during the race? Um, at this stage, I'll probably take just some water in my lap jacket. Um, it's more for me just in case I get like a dry mouth or like if we're heading out for that two, three canes we're heading to start with and I'm just a bit dry before we do that downwind section just so I can make sure that I can kind of, yeah, just have a little bit of water just to get everything back in. I can sort of breathe a bit more freely. Um, so I'll just have it there in case, or if I get towards the end and I'm starting to feel thirsty, I can just have a quick sip, but I wouldn't be taking too much. Yeah, cool. I just take a chocolate bar in case she gets a fan. Just to your question, so obviously it also always depends. So the heat changes changed everything. So your body's, your stomach, it's harder for it to absorb the carbohydrates and the whole sodium balance and how that affects. And I'm not, not a nutritionist, but so those are the things you want to also consider. The carb per hour, the precision hydration, they actually have a little calculator on their website where you can work it out. So you can say, you know, what intensity you're going to go at, how long you're going to go at, and it'll give you the grams per hour, and then you could scale your gels to that. But also, so the most important thing is learning from that calculator is the intensity. So if you're going to go long and slow, which is how I go these days, I don't need as much. I don't need much replacement, right? But I'm probably still going to need electrolytes and fluid because I'm sweating so much here in Perth. But I might not need as much energy. So really, it's it's intensity dependent. That's the big one, and that's going to impact how much carbs you take on. And then, like, like both of them are saying, you know, you want to be used to it because the gut can really react badly, as we know, and it can change. You know, as you get older, I, I do a completely different thing now as to what I used to do. 
now I can eat a banana on a paddle and not, you know, worry about it, probably have a cup of tea, but, you know, a few years ago, that would have been a different situation. Thank you, and thanks for the question, guys. Uh, Mac and I have a tradition where we have a beer the night before every race we've gone to, so I, I don't know if that's actually what we should be doing. Um, <laughs> all right, hands up for more questions, guys. We're going to try and uh, let's just target uh, one of the athletes on the panel as well with a question. We're going to try and burn through a fair few as well to give away that $100, $100 Icobi voucher. Hank McGregor has a question over on the side there. Thank you, Hank. Who did ask? Who did ask? We're actually done one live show before, and it was last year at WR Race Week, and Hank asked the best question of the lot. So. Hank, over to you. He doesn't need any like Kobe. Um, uh, I'm not going to ask any because I've seen how many top um, <laughs> But uh, going on last year's, you guys both won the world title, and the conditions were, as Oscar always said, the screaming downwind in Portugal every day of the year. Um, it was we'll, not. We all know it was dead flat. Are you guys um, excited about the conditions that we're going to race in on Thursday, since it's going to be the complete opposite to? Last year's world title. Hank's already broken the golden rule by not asking it to one athlete, but we will, we will, we will hear from both Gemma and Kenny on this. Yeah, I'm so excited to line up on Saturday in the or on Thursday in the conditions. I think we've obviously had you know some flatter races over here lately, but the conditions that Perth throws up, um, you know, we've obviously had the doctor last year in unreal conditions, so I'm really excited to line up in um, those conditions, and yeah, really looking forward to it. So. Yeah, I think um, even though they'll be very different to last year, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I don't think anyone actually enjoys paddling surfing on flat water, so <laughs> I can definitely say I'm looking forward to some wind. And based on Saturday's result, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to some wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well said, Ken. Um, all right, next question. Hands straight up in the air. Maka. Hey, you're gonna have to. Oh, Macro, I think we're gonna have to come to Simon after you. Oh, Sorry, oh. Simon, you were beaten to the draw on that one. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? Rules are rules. You know, we don't have special treatment. Uh, sorry, introduce yourself and who your questions for. Uh, my name is Denise. I'm from the US. I'm a Matthew Cabot. I'd like to hear what you think of the dream um, doubles teams. Like, who would take who in a doubles? Mm. Are, are any of you doing doubles? If you're not, like, who would be your dream team? I'm going to direct these ones. Michelle, we'll start with you, and then we might hear from, from Kenny, because Gemma's actually racing with Macker in the doubles. Are we allowed to announce that? Macker and Gemma really? racing the doubles. Oh, so, that is, well, <laughs> Gemma's on the front, Macker's on the back. He just needs to keep in time and don't worry about steering. So, Michelle, we'll start with you. Cool. Fun spot. Um, I actually, in 2013, I won the mixed troubles with Tim Jacobs, so we broke the country oh, yeah. So I put him story in front of So I feel like if I didn't say his name now, he'd be upset. So I'd say TJ. I'd probably say Hank. Yeah. I know he's the reigning mixed troubles marathon world champion. So he'd be in the boots and maybe in the Nello double with the steering in the back. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for your answers. Great question. Simon Trana, you are up next. Uh, passionate paddler, Simon Trana. My question is for the young athlete, but also the oldies. James, six Olympics means you've been at your game for 24 years, which is an extraordinary period of time <laughs> to be the best in class. Had, what was the longevity, or how did you handle longevity? What did you do that keeps you at the best of your best for such a long period of time? Um, that's a... It's a really interesting question. Um, I love I love the training. I really like the preparation and the training. And I think um, also I had really good balance in life. Like rowing wasn't the be all and end all. I had I was working all the way through. 
um, and then had family toward the end of my career. So, and we would have a year off after each Olympics. So we do a three-year block, and then, I mean, you're still you're staying active. Yeah. But uh, yeah, surfing, bike riding, and whatnot. But um, yeah, just keeping balance. Like you know, if you judge your self worth on a paddling event or a rowing race, like you're pretty. Uh, it's a pretty. Um, you know, well, it's a non-existence basically. So you need other aspects in life. So um, yeah, the Olympic ideals of it's a beautiful thing. The Olympic Charter. If you get the chance to read it, it's beautiful and. Uh, the notion of Olympism is having a balanced life of mind, body, and soul. So you do academics for the mind, arts for the soul, and sport for the, for the body. And if you've got that balance, and the Greeks used to believe if you had that, you would ascend to the gods when you died, if you lived a balanced life. So all of a sudden, we're realizing now that to have longevity and to keep perspective in life is to have a balanced life. So without knowing all of that, I was sort of doing that on the way through. And, and having other aspects and I think uh, Jenna you were saying that now that you're working full time you really make the most of your training and you make the most of when you're at work as well so that's uh, that's balance and so therefore you're probably even more efficient and getting more out of your training by doing that as opposed to wasting time when you've just got all day to train so I think that's that's a long-winded answer of having some other aspects in your life and and having some balance thanks James that's a really interesting insight um, on to the next one, any questions? $100 Vicoba gift voucher on the line for the best question. No, yes, thank you very much. The map is coming down now. Is that your music too, Eliza, by the way? Was, no, no, it wasn't, no. Yeah. I like the soundtrack anyway. Hi, I'm Ellie, also a passionate paddler. Um, my question is for Kenny, or well, any of you, but yeah, you said before that um, you mentioned you knew it was gonna hurt. Um, but you know you're going to go through pain. As a newish paddler, I guess I'm still getting used to how much pain is, you know, is normal. And, and I'm interested, how much pain do you guys feel? What does it feel like? Like, do you feel like you can't go on any further? Or is it like the pain at the end? What are you guys talking about? And what should we be trying to go for with that? <laughs> Lack of measurements. Yeah, I think it's all relative to how fit you are and stuff and how far you can push yourself. But you, when you, like James saying, when you finish, you want to be totally spent to know that you've left it all out there. So as hard as you've trained, you've squeezed every ounce out of that toothpaste tube or whatever. You know, the, I think pain is only as far as you can push yourself. So you can't say how much it's going to hurt. Um, it could be like hitting your head against the wall, but it could also be like having a back tickle. Cooking down in conditions, you know, you're just plodding along. Um, but like, for example, for Saturday for me, it, it was mentally painful. It was just frustrating, you know, like there, those, it's, it's different levels of it. And I don't think you can quite put it on a scale. It's just how far you're willing to go in all those aspects. I'd like to experience one of those tactical races. That's pretty good. Essentially, just, just with pain, like if, if, if it's getting tough, you just got to accept it. And then once you accept it, then you've got another level to go. And then when you accept that, you can go, you can always go a little bit more. So when it's really tough, you just, okay, it's tough and accept that. So there's always room to move up. 
Great advice ahead of the race. Thank you very much, Mac. We are down the front uh, in the corner here. Next oh, question. Just before you go, I know Kenny loves neck tickles, so if anyone is around, <laughs> I'm not going to ask how you know that either. We've been travelling the bike for about 10 years together. I, think, I guess things do get close together on the road. Can you please introduce yourself and who your question's for? Hello, I'm Theresa. I'm from New South Wales. My question is, as I'm getting older, I'm in my 60s now, I was just wondering what kind of do you feel the weights and things help women more, you know, what kind of weights you should keep keep going? Because as you get older you feel like you're getting smaller. Michelle, I might come to you for that question. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, I, I, I don't think being a coach of women's totally. I think that's a pretty fair suggestion. <laughs>
or long steady resistance sessions have worked or milligrams have worked. So it's understanding what you need at that time. It's like listening to what you need to eat. You know, you learn what your body needs. So it's not attacking every single session. It's not sustainable. You have to make your training sustainable. So like James was saying, you have to, everything has to be sustained. It has to, you have to be able to do it for the rest of your life. You can't just go and do it with the purpose of being done in four years because then you will burn out. So make it fun, make it enjoyable. And our squad's very lucky like that. We, it, it's a funny session, you know, like we're all taking the piss out of each other. You, you're happy to be there. It's a positive environment. And I know what works for me, so I'm going to take certain um, sessions seriously. And on my easier sessions that Nikki might go a little bit harder, I'm going to get dragged along with him. So it's having that um, sort of understanding that someone else is going to push you a little bit harder on those sessions and whether you're willing to go with them or not. And if you know it's going to get you to the end of the week when you might have a time trial on a Thursday morning, you know, a 2K time trial, knowing that you, you can't flog yourself on a Monday morning. Thanks for the question, Austin. We've got time for two more. Two more questions. Hands up. We won't even need two more. Have any more questions? One up the back. Fergus Morgan, thank you very much. Maka. And actually, this is, uh, you know, we've been speaking a lot about world championships. Yeah, Fergus, he doesn't, he doesn't want to step into the limelight. This is uh, Fergus Morgan, the interim world champion as well, as some of you may have heard on the last episode of the Powerless Pod. So, Fergus, thank you very much. Yeah, probably for me, over 100. Um, I kind of balance between lots of different squads um, in the flat and surf and then surf last standing as well. So trying to keep a track of it, yeah, probably it's more time on the water. I don't necessarily try and keep a track of, oh, I want to try and hit this many Ks, but I'd say on average, it's probably over 100 leading into a week like this. Yeah, I think like 110 to 120, you, you feel like you're getting fit. Um, if you're doing like, or for me anyways, if I'm doing 80 Ks, it's, it's more maintenance and you're probably getting unfit. <laughs> Just a quick one, quick one word answer. How many sessions normally in a week are you, are you paddling when you're doing that many times? Eight? Yeah, I'd say around the same. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, in fact, that was 120 k's in a week as well in a month. So that's important to know. Last question as well, guys. The last question. Of the night, $100 Vicobi gift voucher. Do we have one? Up the back of the bar, there we go. Maka, yeah, good, good walking for you, Maka. Last question of the night. I'll set up the whole time crew to make some, make some questions for the night. Michael Lott from Bulldog, the South Sydney. Uh, I suppose, uh, in Australia we have a marathon series, harbour series, and ocean racing series. And I'm one of the silly boaters that do all of them. <laughs> I tend to over race rather than over train. Can can you really over race? Like as in if if you've got every month there'd be three full on races. There'd be an ocean race, a marathon race and a harbour series race, which would be fifteen to eighteen Ks. Plus all you're trying to do all your training. Overdoing it. Yeah, I think for me, um, I tend to look at what events I want to target specifically and then I I think racing is definitely beneficial in helping you prepare. Um, but I know for me, um, if I'm racing like consecutively over like a couple of month period, like I know right now for us, it kind of gets really busy with our surf life saving season and I'm doing sprint kayaking as well, even though the ocean ski kind of thing um, dies away a little bit now for us in Australia. 
Um, I know by the time I get to April, if I'm racing every weekend, by the end of it, I'm just kind of bit, bit burnt out. So I think for me, I can definitely use it as a tool to help me prepare for certain races, but um, I kind of know now if I need a little bit of a break, just more mentally than physical, I'd say, these days. I suppose it depends on the races, like when you doing a local race and then having beers after and enjoying it, or are you focusing on it, like, like Jen is saying, but um, I mean, they're the perfect session if you need to push, you know, if you really need to have a couple hard sessions and you can't motivate yourself or you train alone and you need to be able to get, you know, a certain heart rate or whatever you're aiming for, a certain intensity level, then using a race is the best way to do it because not only are you racing, but you also have, you know, excitement or whatever, nerves for the race, so your heart rate tends to be a little higher. So that's not a bad idea, but you know, the dangerous side of it is overtraining, so you can't overrace for sure. I think if you're not enjoying it, if it becomes a strain for you, like, you, you can race as much as you like. Like Michelle was saying, it's how hard you take it, but if you're lining up going, I don't really want to be here, then you shouldn't be doing it. So it's more just what's happening in your head. Is it affecting your weekly training? Is it affecting the long-term goal? It's, it's more about whether you want to be there or not. That is too much. Thank you very much and thank you everyone for not only asking the questions but your time this afternoon as well. We really appreciate it. Uh, there were so many great questions just then but just for creativity alone and thinking outside the box, congratulations Denise, you were going to take the $100 by Kobe gift voucher as well for your dream doubles question. Please thank all of our guests as well, James Tompkins, Gemma Smith, Michelle Ray and Penny Rice. And before we sit down, one last thing to do, guys. A quick photo of the group, guys. We're going to be down the front, too. On the count of three, you've got to give us a big cheer. We're going to take a quick selfie of the whole crew as well to remember this because we're really grateful for everyone coming out. Macker and I love doing this. And you're going to take the selfie for Macker and I love doing this. And we do really appreciate our, everyone's support and everyone listening. It's the Pavla.news on Instagram and Facebook, the Pavla's pod on your favourite uh, podcast platform. So, on the count of three, one, two, three, big cheer. Yeah.